Today, on episode two of The Journey of Science, we sit down with our very first guest, Dr. Aswathi Amothamkandi. She is a senior postdoctoral trainee in Michael Bonaguidi's stem cell laboratory at the University of Southern California. We chat about our latest work with human epileptic brain tissue and discuss everything from the current utility of animal models to cultural differences in laboratory environments around the world. Welcome everyone to The Journey of Science. So how are you, Ashwati? And how are you, Zane? I'm doing good. Like, like, happy with everything that's going on. What the hell are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, summer is certainly in the middle of it. We're it's so hot. So hot. This is my third my third shirt today, and it's only <laughs> one o'clock. Seriously. <laughs> I've got my. I don't know, uh, Gopu, about you, but I get, I keep a spare spray deodorant around just to travel oh. travel deodorant right so if i walk into a building i'm not sweat smelling like sweat but it's good we've got um yeah. i've got family in town right now so it's it's a little chaotic at home in the in-laws but so it's nice to be in the lab oh my god so it's good to have them here um but it's it's also good to be able to escape for a little bit have a break yeah have a break and recuperate and then re-energize are you guys planning on any summer trip somewhere Ashwathi? i'm not like i have a little one who's one and a half years old so he gets sick like he recently started his daycare so he keeps getting sick every oh, now and yeah. then so yeah, yeah you can't really plan anything if he's fine then we'll just get, like take the car and start driving if not just stay home yeah fair enough I've been planning to go to Colorado. Oh, it's beautiful out there. Yeah. That'd be good. Escape the heat. Yeah. So, so I got a question, Aswathi. Um, you just had this beautiful paper, Nature Neuroscience. Um, uh, as an epilepsy biologist, both Go both Gopu and I now, Gopu, um, I, I really appreciated what you did um, in terms of this human neurogenesis, human epilepsy. I mean, you took on human tissue. That's crazy to me. Um, we've had some experience with it. We've worked with certain neurosurgeons and they collect tissue, but can you just elaborate and explain to us what it's like working with human tissue, collecting human tissue and like the pressure and the, for me, it would be sewing like, it's one thing to work with a mouse when you've got 15 cages full of them, but it's so precious, right? Yeah, that's so true. Like, yeah, I don't take out the tissue. So it's a surgeon who's taking out the tissue. So I don't have to see that part. Like, so we have great like neurosurgeons who gives us the best, like they take a lot of effort in giving us the best quality tissue, you know, like they don't have to really, they can just scoop out and just throw it, but mm -hmm. they just scoop out it in a way that it's, the tissue is as intact as possible so that we can do live recording, cell culture, everything. So they do like, they take a lot of extra effort from their clinical responsibilities to make sure that we get the best quality of tissue. So uh, yeah, so the main, like the initial part is done by them giving us the best quality tissue. And without that, I don't think we could do any of these things. And working with a human tissue, yeah, as you said, it's very precious. Most of the times I feel the experiment itself is not difficult. It's just that, you know, in your back of your mind, it's like, oh, this tissue is precious. Mm -hmm. I have to do justice to it. Like, you know, I can't fail. So that is in back of your mind. But I think with time you get good at it. So that has been difficult, you know, like, you're like, oh my God, I can't waste this. I can't take a, like, and you can't do a lot of experiments because the tissue is limited at times. We are like, oh, we want to ask that. We want to ask this, but it's like the tissue is only so much. So we have to prioritize mm. what we want to ask, which is like, I feel it's good in some ways because I find it that when you work in like other models, like in mouse, it's like, oh, let's ask this, let's ask that. And when you work in a drosophila model, let's ask 100 things because it's just, you have so many and you're like, let me ask everything. But here you have to prioritize your questions yeah. and to make sure. So I, I personally find it like, probably it's also me being a little lazy to ask a lot of questions and want to do only little things. So uh, I like that part of it that 
mm-hmm. being able to prioritize my questions and finding out what I really want to look at and not just jump into the like I feel that when if I would have been like given a cell culture so I've worked in cell other cell lines cancer cell lines and so on they're like it's like you want to ask anything you just go on and go and do it you don't think about it whether it's going to work but here you have to do a lot of like read a little bit more and think about it before you start to do it yeah you have to pre-plan a lot don't you you have to pre-plan a lot yeah. but an, another problem that i find is i wouldn't say it's a problem like uh i feel like a lot of the things that we look at the human tissue is driven by things that we got to know from mouse models like without knowing that uh, these things would go wrong for example neurogenesis has gone wrong in uh, mouse models of epilepsy there is no way we are going to look at it in humans Uh, but at the same time i feel that our study has given us like some insights on what should be also looked at in mouse models and probably there are better time for for example the importance of looking at chronic time points mm. in epilepsy and things like those things i feel we have given insights but at the same time uh, some people are not they're like okay they uh, it's just an association you find an association what does it mean like you don't you don't really do the mechanism right you can't in a mouse models you would go block it and see it yeah. whereas here you most of the uh, rsls are associations which we do have plans to take into finding mechanisms but it's going to be very incremental so uh, a lot of times i get this question that it's it's just an association does it even have any meaning but that's um, a you can do with the sample right you can't do it facing with the baby <laughs> Uh, yeah but he, like it's like people who work in models are used uh-huh. to look at question like that right you have to look at address the mechanism uh-huh. without showing the cause and effect you're not really addressing the question it's mostly a correlation and that's true like most of our stud- like results are correlation making correlations based on what we see associations made and uh, this has to be validated in mouse models and like i think that's what it opens up a lot more questions which needs to be addressed in other model organisms and i think if we didn't look at this probably that it would have taken a lot more time for people who worked in mouse models to get to those questions so i find it like a valuable piece or like looking at that's what i feel like looking at human disease is important uh yeah though you can't address all the mechanisms like i i have this problem like a lot of people keep asking me oh it's just an association it's just an association i'm like okay that association means something because you're looking at the human disease and if that doesn't make any meaning for you i don't know like what is the point of addressing it in a mouse model alone right you have to look at every now and then you have to go back and look at the relevance in a disease model if that's your main goal if it's just a curiosity driven science it's a different thing but if you're trying to cure human diseases then i think every now and then we have to go back and see like um, if we are really asking the right questions oh that's that's interesting you know we get kind of the opposite criticism it's like you're, st- <laughs> you're studying this in a mouse like why does that matter i know yeah, exactly right i mean i think we've especially in the epilepsy field there's so many differences between mouse models of epilepsy and all just human clinical epilepsies they're so diverse in terms of how they can present it's kind of it's it's interesting hearing you say here's a here's a really critical human study we need to go back to the mouse <laughs> you see right so that's what i'm saying like i don't think that criticism is valid that it's a, just a mouse model because as you mentioned we have really very little bit of tissue yeah. and there are very little questions that we can ask and yeah. that is driven by quest answers that we know from mouse if we didn't know that what would we look at we going to ask 100 things which doesn't make any sense so that's great yeah yeah that's so it's like you're fine tuning what you're going to study in the mouse like ignore this other stuff it, it may be there <laughs> but really what's this this is the important part that's relative to human pathology. oh that's fun I'm so how was it like sorry like uh, i just want to finish it. i'm not saying that the other part is not important i feel that a lot of times by the time the patients come to the clinic it's like this late stage of disease and mm. the disease progresses very differently at the chronic phases versus early phases whereas in mouse models people always tend to study early phase one probably it's much relatively easier because you don't have to age the mice all this time and develop you know it's just easier to look at but probably the other one has like you know clinically by the time the patient is in the clinic and it's already the disease is there so 
uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't look at what causes the disease, but there should be equal weightage given on, like when you know there is a disease, what can you do about it? So what, what was it like? How, did you work with a lot of the neurosurgeons? Yes, we do have like um, meetings with our neurosurgeons every two weeks. We do try to prioritize what our questions are. Mm -hmm. Apart from us, there are other collaborators. So they try to look at who needs tissue for what experiments okay. and they try to give us. Um, so most of it has been interactions during meetings where we prioritize our questions and then it has been like, yeah, I don't have to walk into a, a surgery room if that's what you're like, you know, have you like, yeah. So usually they... Like, no, I, like I just know out. a lot of these <laughs> procedures are at like five in the morning. Yeah. So do you get a phone call like, hey, tomorrow, five o'clock, be there tomorrow morning with your bucket of ice or something? <laughs> <laughs> so it's mostly night. They start around seven o'clock in the morning, but depending on how the other surgeries go, it gets delayed. So usually I'm in the lab since like starting from nine o'clock in the morning but probably by the time I get the tissue it's probably nine in the night or yeah. so it's That's a long thing. wait because you can't uh, and when you get the tissues you have to do all the recordings immediately right or yes I don't do the recording experiments it's done by Victoria so she has to stay overnight and do Ooh. my experiments have been mostly cell culture which finishes in two to three hours so I can go home in two three hours but Victoria does a lot of overnight experiments staying with the tissue and like it's like again you know you have the precious tissue you want to make yeah. best use of it so she stays overnight and gets whatever is possible well that's a nice system then it works out it's, it's great that you have clinical faculty that are so interested in, in research and engaging with, with the research done yeah. there, right? I think that's a huge, you know, hurdle for a lot of folks that work even with access to those neurosurgeons is you just don't have a lot of neurosurgeons that care to take the time. You know, they can just hand you a, a, clump, tissue, a clump of brain yeah. tissue and say, here's the hippocampus. And you're like, well, what? What am I looking at? Right. Yeah, I think kinda... they had this uh, collaboration for a while, but uh, Michael, like the lab that I'm from, uh, Michael actually initiated this collaboration and actually strengthened this program very much that uh, like we have great research going on, like even as a follow-up of the study, we have other like very like research that can go into translational ways. Yeah. So how, how long how long did this whole thing take? Yeah, that's when that was my question. So I joined in 2017. So it's like five years now. So that was the time Michael started. So I actually started this project. So Michael had already plans of what needs to be done. But uh, yeah, I joined in 2017. And so he had just started the lab right when you joined? He had already, it was already two years. His lab mainly focuses on uh, neurogenesis, uh, uh, particularly using mouse models. Uh, he, we also had another postdoc who was working on Drosophila models. So he actually liked integrating all these, uh, like, you know, multiple models because each of it has its own benefits, right? You can't mm -hmm. say that, like, the uh, Drosophila model gives you a lot of high throughput. So he actually wanted to build this. So I think he probably hired me because I had experience working with human tissue, not though human brain tissue. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, the reason for hiring me was probably he wanted someone who was willing to work in this odd hours, like nine o'clock in the night to work with oh, the human tissue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. So where did you come from? What was the yeah. system you worked on? Uh, I previously worked on human cervical cancer. It has nothing to do with oh. human brain. So that was a huge transition for me. And why did you decide to change? And why U.S. of all the... <laughs> <laughs> I think why did I decide to change I think I always wanted to work on neuroscience before my like for my PhD interview my whole interview was with a panel of neuroscience because I said I wanted to do a, neuro, a like PhD in neuroscience but what happened was the institute that I joined uh, like they did not have faculty who were working on human disease more than I was like I want to work on human disease and mm. also it's not just that I also had fear of working with mice so I'm really uh, scared to work with mice even now even now I'm very scared of working with mice so I didn't want to work on so I would say that my first rotation was in a lab that worked on hippocampus using mouse models and uh, like 
rat models and they were like that was the lab i wanted to join but then i realized i'm not capable of handling a mice i don't want to do this and then i canceled all my other rotations which were again in like uh, amygdala and things like that which again was on mouse models so i was like no i want to work on someone who works on human tissue and not mouse models so i ended up joining I a see. lab that worked on human cervical cancer because they worked on uh, human cancer biopsies Hmm. And after PhD, did you take any break, or was it just just mm. then postdoc? No, then it was immediately postdoc. I was like, this is my one shot to again go back into neuroscience, and I was like, let me give all my effort. It was really difficult to do that because everyone was looking for like experienced people who had the experience. So it was tough to change, but I really wanted to change, so I changed. So you moved from India to US, right? Yes. How was the cultural change? uh it was uh, there are a lot of pros and cons right when you move to a different country i think the biggest problem is you suddenly hit with this loneliness because i moved alone when i moved here i moved alone my husband joined me like 9 months later so mm-hmm. the first 9 months i was here alone so that was a huge thing i was like so homesick so that was one thing which was which did not let me enjoy a lot of things in us the first year but i would say once my husband came here i started seeing the positive things like uh, yeah there is there are cultural differences but what i really appreciate about the thing here is here i think uh, most of the people who do any kind of work everyone enjoy their work that is something which i found uh, like i don't know about like how it works in other countries because i haven't spent much time in other countries but compared to india i found uh, like most of the people they enjoy what they do at least they look seem to enjoy in uh, outside they seem to enjoy even if you walk into a coffee shop they try to have a conversation with you they are very positive about talking to you at least they do talk uh, like yeah you really don't know whether they really, really enjoy the job but at least outside they seem to really do it with so much of passion and what are the things that you don't like uh things which i don't like i would say again the same thing probably it's a little bit superficial and in probably they don't connect a lot beyond that so for example uh, in a lab in india students are more tightly knit together they have an emotional connection here i think there are clear lines between personal and professional oh you know? definitely uh, so you don't interfere uh, i don't know is it because i am an indian you know you probably get along well with from your people from your own country so maybe that is a difference but even between like people two people like two americans i found that they try to like there is some the strange strong line right? there are, there is a strong I, line i also the same thing too because in india like your colleagues are basically your friends and your family <laughs> family yeah here it's a, it's a very community based thing and here everything starts and ends like starts at 9 ends at 5 <laughs> after that there is no communication no nothing and the cycle repeats again the next day and I, I, one thing i found when i moved to us was everybody was so loud <laughs> <laughs> you have to be so loud <laughs> Yeah, it's a good change for me too. So I, I that makes it more difficult coming to the US for the first time trying to integrating into some social social network. Oh, yes, find friends. Right. I mean if if everybody's clocking yeah. out at five o'clock and then you don't interact with them outside of the lab. That makes That's it difficult. True. but i think it's not even in professional places i think even in personal spaces americans tend to have st- like strong lines between parents and children like in india you don't have like parents have all say on it like that is a good thing or a bad thing so i'm i'm saying i don't know if it's a good it's good in some ways and bad in yeah. some like in india like everyone interferes and everyone else is <laughs> so you don't have that so it has its own positive note and negative things about it so yeah probably we have to find a perfect balance <laughs> so yeah it's 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 so, it's so true like even i mean when i so i did my i finished my bachelor's and masters in india and for my phd i went to japan for 5 years and there it was even more strict the social things were very strict but then very asian you know like you have to respect your 
like professors and your scientists, that respect factor was very big in Japan. And so was in India. Like you would yeah. never call your PI by name. That was just like, oh, no, 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 no. That's a big no. And here when Janissa would just call me Janissa, like, are you sure? <laughs> it's like, it took me, it took me a, a month to exercise like the muscle memory. <laughs> like, oh, Jenny, okay. I don't, I can't call you professor or madam or sir, you know, Jenny. It was, it was something. Yeah. That's also good and bad in a lot of ways. Right. You know? <laughs> So yeah. when you're homesick, what do you, what do you look for? Is that like, do you go to food? Uh, Are there TV now shows I'm or not, anything? Now I'm not homesick. Yeah, I do get homesick because I just have my husband and son alone. But yeah, probably now it's not bad. In the beginning, it was bad because it was all alone. But yeah, at that time, all you can do is eat food, watch, binge watch Netflix series. That's all you could do. Because if you're, in, if you're in LA, they have... Uh, they've got to have a pretty good assortment of restaurants and Indian they food. Do. They do have a lot of Indian food. How, how would you yeah. rate it in terms of quality or experience? I would, I would say it's really good. I didn't expect to get such good Indian food. And especially I've heard from other like my other friends who live in other states that they don't get so much variety in Indian food over there. So I'm glad I'm at least in LA where there's option to go buy Indian food, yeah. eat and like groceries, everything. Yeah. What about sense. San Antonio, Gopu? Oh, it's amazing. I was surprised. You, yeah. it's such a, the Indian community is very strong. I mean, I'm not close to them, but then the restaurants, the the culture here, it's the food is very authentic. That that's what it surprised me. The level yeah. of authenticity. It's like wow, that was surprising. Yeah. What? Well, so what? How is the? What's the postdoc postdoc life like in? Uh, you, you said LA, you know, I'm sorry, I forgot, right? You live in yeah. LA. So what's yeah, yeah. postdoc life? Like in, in the sense, like the cost of living and the general quality of life there, or is it just everything consumed by the, the lab? <laughs> I wouldn't say so. Like, I, I don't know. I've heard this from other people that there is a huge difference in the work culture in East versus West Coast. In West Coast, it's more cool and chill and in east coast it's like you know people Absolutely. work oh, late nights weekends everything so here at least that's what i've seen in my lab people work when they have work so uh, there are times when you have to work late night and there are times when you can leave early so uh, you can decide at least i think it's a lot driven by the lab culture i also i would mm -hmm. say like what the culture the pi cultivates in the lab there are other labs that i know in la where people don't have that flexibility they have to uh, like doesn't matter. They don't have any experiment. They still have to be in the lab and wait for a boss to leave, to leave. Though they are simply probably looking at the Instagram or something like that. Like, but, you know, I think it's a culture, I believe. And at least uh, what I've heard is LA has a more cool lab life. I don't know if that's true. I think it's mostly PI, the culture that PI cultivates, I believe. It makes me think of one instance, one story in Japan. So uh, there, one of the professors I rotated, um, uh, that person had a rule, like by 8.30, everyone should be there in the lab. Like, okay, fine, cool, whatever. Then I went to the lab once and uh, that person, the professor called me to their office. And the professor was like, oh, you are such a disappointment to me. And you don't respect anyone. And he was just like blasting me. Like, what happened? Are you okay? It's too early in the morning for this. What happened? <laughs> and he said, oh, you don't respect anyone in the lab. You are, you come to the lab so late. I told them, no, I, I came on time. And the professor was like, no, you are supposed to be here by 8.30. You are here on 8.32. Like, you know what, bye. Thank you very much for your service, bye. <laughs> Yeah, so I think it's, I don't know, like, are all labs in Japan having a heavy work culture? Like, um, usually Asian countries have, uh, like, people in Asia are more hardworking. I've heard that they tend to work a lot. So is that the culture that... More or less, I would say. It's very, I mean, they are, they're, I, I, what I felt like their identity was very much connected to their work they do. Okay. So they tend to sometimes overdo things. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it can go in all different tangents. Social. 
So what is next for Ashwati? Like, are you looking for PI? You know, like, are you looking for professorships? Are you joining for industry? What's next for Ashwati? I want to be a PI. That's my dream. Like, let's see how it goes. I hope to apply this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, hoping to get some uh, good position by the end of next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a backup plan. That's my problem. <laughs> Because I think I'm so focused on doing research, I haven't thought about, and I have no experience in working in industry, and it feel like I am a little bit scared about entering even into industry. I'm like I probably don't even want to enter into that science field. So it's, it's probably gonna I'm gonna give my best shot for get, becoming a faculty right now. Hey. Sometimes not having a backup plan is the ultimate motivator, right? Yeah, it is, right? If I don't have a net to catch myself. I've got to do or die. So Yes. It's same like I said, I don't want to work on mice. Everyone was like, everyone works on mice. How can you say you won't work on mice? But yeah, <laughs> I said I wasn't. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to work on mice, and I still work on mice. <laughs> you did say that. I did say so, that. But... You work with worms, no, Zane? Sorry? No, no, no. I work on... I did work on worms, but uh, I don't anymore. Why did you not want to work on mice, and why do you now work on mice? It, it's just one of those things that, like, you work on them, they're such a pain. <laughs> like, I, I can't. Okay. I'm just tired of it. I want something fresh, but then there, like you said, there's a utility to everything. And as projects grow and you understand their utility, they just, they just find their way of coming back. And, you know, it's a tool set and it's it's there. So (laughs) it's a valuable tool. I I, like, I remember I had a conversation with Michael once. He was like, now, now that you're going to start looking for faculty position, do you want to start working on mouse models? So you have to uh, like uh, be independent from your PI and have a different project. Right. So uh, one way you could make your own mark is like here, you looked at human and now you can look at mouse. So he asked me now you are not going to be working on mouse models. Are you interested? But I was like, I probably don't even want to work. I, I realized that, like after working on human tissue for a long time, I realized that it's not even fear anymore. I feel that I, I do want to work on human tissue. So are yeah. you going to continue this line of work or is that going to stay in the Bonaguidi lab? So Michael is definitely going to continue this project. Yeah. but Because it seems act- like it's so integrated. Like they have the, the network and the system there. It'd be very difficult to do and to set up outside of that. I mean, it's very... Yes. And it's like, it's so well established now and we have like yeah. translational projects. So he's definitely going to continue this project, but like there are aspects of the project. For example, we uh, ended up finding a, a glial cell, which we didn't look for. So mm-hmm. that's the part of the project that I'm going to take forward. Like, so, okay. because I told you, right, Michael works on his lab, the broad focus is on understanding neurogenesis and the possibilities of regeneration and so on. So I'm going to focus more on the glial part of the story. So, yeah. Fantastic. Still in human tissue. Still. <laughs> I have to ask you one question. So this wonderful paper, what are the experiments that, what are the part of the experiment that didn't work? Uh, didn't work. I think a lot of things, it was like things which didn't work in the way we thought. In the beginning, it was like, we'll end up finding a lot of aberrant new neurons. You know, all the mouse experiments say that there is a ton of aberrant neurogenesis. So probably we're going to find a lot of neuro, like newborn neurons everywhere. And we looked at it and there were no new neurons. I was like, shit. Now, what are we going to study? We were like, we had this huge hypothesis. Okay, it's the new neurons. They have a lower threshold for getting active. And probably that's what leads to the hyperexcitation, neuronal hyperactivity. And now you don't find new neurons. I'm like, what is your, your hypothesis failed completely. Now you don't have it. No, now what is it? So that was the thing. I wouldn't say uh, things which didn't work. It was a lot of troubleshooting. Staining didn't work a lot. Mm-hmm. Cell culture didn't work. We had to do a lot of troubleshooting to find things which ultimately worked. And there are aspects which like we wanted to keep it longer, which we are not able to. There are like, we wish to culture them much longer, but after a certain point, they fail. And we wish to culture every tissue that we get, but that's not the case. We can't culture every tissue. So those things don't come into the paper, right? How, like, what is your success rate and things like that? Out of 
like probably 20s uh, tissues that you culture probably it's only seven or eight that grow so there is a lot of like tish- like things that don't mm-hmm. come into paper which yeah i think probably all of it should go into the paper so that people who start doing don't get disappointed when things don't work for them like okay it's not all good sunshine, sunshine. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah it was like another thing which was like you know we started looking at dcx a marker for newborn neurons so in since and um oh, mouse neurogenesis field dcx is very much a marker for newborn yeah. neurons we were like when we found it everywhere we were like okay something is wrong when we started at co expressing with glial marker i remember michael first time even like he's like you probably messed up the antibody so that would have been my first thought oh, yeah. like, what did i mess up <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know because you know since i was not from neuroscience background a lot of things were like you know i didn't know what to look for sure. so i didn't have a lot of disappointment well that's that's refreshing because you were you're kind of like what do you mean this is should it be this way this looks great to me right? exactly it looks good to me <laughs> and that's so true yeah but that's i think that goes back to what you're originally saying is like we've pushed mouse models so much we've defined what we think this disease looks like based on a mouse brain but there's I mean, a mouse brain is not a human brain right that's yeah. just the honest truth and if you've got double cortin co-expressing with tuj1 maybe that's the norm that that we're just maybe that's a norm for humans that is not yeah. the same for whatever reason in mice and we have to reevaluate how we define the disease i mean that's exactly what do you um actually what do you think about organoids because the thing is like you both were saying that like, you were saying that like, you didn't want to work with mouse mm-hmm. for me i'm so comfortable in working with mouse mouse is just my bread and butter <laughs> i do not even want to look at cell culture like if i look at a culture plate that will get contaminated it's, like, <laughs> it's i'm just so bad at it and when people do organ work i'm just like i get it i appreciate you but then that's not my cup of tea i just do not want to do that like do you plan to incorporate that into your lab so in the very beginning like when i joined michael's lab we had two projects one was on ipsc models of hippocampal neurons generating hippocampal neurons this yeah. was in collaboration with another lab ruchi pachpai so we had this two projects and the this was like more like my like going to be my main project the ipsc one and this was like you know high risk project probably it won't work getting human tissue we don't know how many tissue we'll get whatever phenotype we get we don't know if we can see it in enough patients so this was my main project but with time this kept on like you know the uh, human actual tissue project disease project got more we got exciting results and we were like i also tended probably michael also in a way you know it was all like one got more exciting and the other one didn't go that well and uh, i think uh pandemic also had a role in it i had these ipsc cultures uh, mm. which i was trying to uh, grow from a, a genetic model of epilepsy ace and at mutation one and the uh, pandemic happened the time when i thought okay the project is probably going to grow it all we had to close it down we had to shut down through cultures uh, yeah and but then the That's other right. project took a new direction there was this whole aspect of like analyzing human cognition data in association with neurogenesis which we didn't have enough time to look at it before because of you know you have experiments at lab and you have to do it and you don't have time to go and sit and analyze these uh, neuropsychology data but then sitting at home what do you do so like there was an undergrad who was working with me who was supposed to actually do this ipsc project full time he was a serm undergrad in the california institute of regenerative medicine undergrad program with they get a chance to work in the lab one full year so i thought that probably he can actually uh, start working on this project intensively during that year and the lab closed but then he started working on the cognition aspect which now we have really like exciting results showing association with neurogenesis so yeah some of it was changed by pandemic some of it probably our own bias you know as you said so how so you, during the pandemic the lab completely shut down we were like we shut down by mid march probably but i think Uh, august september that was the time slowly started people started coming in more regularly i had some human 
surgical tissue cultures, which I got permission from the department to keep it, like go in lab for half an hour once or twice a week to keep them. But uh, anything that could be recreate, like, you know, IPSC culture, you can again thaw the cells, you can again put the promoter, you can do all these things again. So they didn't give us permission to do that. Whereas we told we can't go and operate another human brain again and yeah. get this tissue back. So let's, so there were aspects yeah. which were running things which we had to throw away. So how long can you keep these cultures going? You said you, there's a finite period of time. Yes. So it's just two or three passages. That's all. And after that, they really don't grow after. So that. this is, you dissociate the slice and mm-hmm. then you, you kind yeah. of select for the progenitors and then. Yeah. So they it's grow the, the neurospheres. Okay. Mm-hmm. But neurosphere cultures, no? Yeah. So it's not as robust as a mouse neurosphere culture. Our lab also mm works on mouse neurospheres and they are really robust. They grow like anything here. It's like in a 24 well dish one well, you would probably get like 50 to 100 spheres. Whereas in a mouse culture, you would get the same number of spheres. You would probably get 400, 500 spheres. So, mm-hmm. and that expands robustly with time. But here, that's not the case. So if you, but for the, for the MEA, you just took the slice, right? Mm-hmm. Could that stay, does that stay? survive just a couple days or no most of the recording experiments are done overnight so we start by evening six o'clock nine o'clock um till morning six o'clock you could probably record with time you'll see that's all so then you just get you just get rid of it after the recording uh no we actually stained the same tissue after recording we subsection the same slice Mm -hmm. to make associations with where did we find activity in regions where we find neuronal hyperactivity? What is going wrong differently and mm. things like that. So we stained them after that. Yeah, I'm just curious what, you know, when you cut it out, you're essentially injuring the tissue. I've always just been curious, like, how is that, you know, we treat that as if it's normal <laughs> normal brain tissue or, or disease, but it's, you know, this is what happens in the brain, but we're also in, introducing a pretty severe injury to it. I was just always curious, like, what, how does that work in terms of how that changes, which is almost technically, you know, how are we ever going to determine that? Yeah, I don't know how are we ever, like, yeah, that's a question we always get asked. Do you know if your cut itself actually caused this uh, gliogenesis? But I'm like, Mm -hmm. probably that cut wouldn't have enough time to cause so many probabilities. There might be like changes in an inflammatory signals and so on that might have happened because of the cut. You can't, I don't know what is a way to. And your, so your control tissue was post-mortem? It was post-mortem. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't in the beginning have post-mortem tissue. Like when we first submitted the paper, then the reviewer was like, you should. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> we were, like we were like the reason was because you know the postmortem tissue is analyzed like uh, processed very differently and depending on that your staining looks very different yeah, yeah. and it does look so in our paper we had a, like kind of refused to uh, do any uh, qualitative uh, quantitative comparisons between yeah, yeah. all our like um, associations uh, that we make with the control our uh, more qualitative than quantitative because we know that the the staining looks way more beautiful in a live tissue than of course way way more beautiful in a live tissue yeah, yeah. you know that that would have a huge effect how long did the revision process take for the paper uh the revision process i think we got back after first submission in beginning of 2020 january like New Year Day, probably something like that. Beginning of the year, your paper got rejected and you're ready to revise it and then the lab gets closed. <laughs> then you don't have epilepsy surgeries having because these are elective surgeries. They did not happen yeah, yeah, yeah. for a really long time. So That's true. Yeah, yeah so 2020, 2021, yeah. Oh, wow, that's, that's a long time. That's a long time. Probably some of it was because of a uh, pandemic. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, oof. But we had like to show like that we had saved for some of the, like for questions we thought the reviewers would ask. So we could go back. We didn't get a lot of tissue during pandemic. That's it. Okay. So how how is um, in in the I mean the place you work, how collaborative is the place? Like do you have collaboration with the nearby labs or it's you know, how 
the what is the support system like in the way you work Uh, the department that we work it's very collaborative and it, it mostly depends on the kind of your research so um, the generally in my lab one of the major strengths that michael has is basically the bioinformatics uh, strengths that he has like he's really good at analyzing single cell data he has phd students are really good at it so he collaborates with other labs for the sequence the single cell sequencing and analysis aspect so uh, most of his collaborations with other lab has been for that particular part like doing sequencing and analysis and then this clinical collaboration it depends a lot uh, between labs again i would say there are labs where they don't do a lot of collaborations and they are more into their own it's mostly i think again the choice that pi makes whether you want to be more collaborative versus not well some of these things you have to right some, yeah with this type of project especially you've got to be you have to integrated. yeah it's it's and it's almost it almost feels like the way science is moving forward it's you know you to survive you have to bring in so many different parts that are outside of your expertise there's no way you can't network you you can't survive without you can't, collaborating yeah. and and, so. and it's also like if you think about any big paper they they want right now single cell has become a common in basically any paper that you read single cell they want data from cell culture they want mouse experiment they want human experiment all these would be one 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 figure and without i mean i'm not even talking about the supplementary figure mm. so a single person it's impossible for it's impossible yeah all this yeah it's like oof it's 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 rough but it's also fun i i mean i oh, i yeah. i find myself the most creative when i'm working with people that i in areas that i'm not familiar with you know they they bring something that's fresh fresh um, and that really for me i found work really stimulates the creative ideas and and those end up being the fun ones right there's always i mean i have projects in my lab where i'm just like oh this one's what a <laughs> so boring this is again the routine stuff <laughs> like can somebody just let this thing die so i don't have to deal with it anymore <laughs> but it's like it keeps moving forward very slowly and you're just hoping one day it just something lights up and it's interesting but you know and, and then there's other projects that come out of interactions with you know I work with a lot of engineers and so it's just working with them and I'm just like this is what I stay up at night thinking about is is how to get this one done and I wouldn't have any way to do it on my own I would not have so uh, I I'm a big fan of collaborating that's also benefit of academia particularly right that's what i'm fear like that's my fear of going into industry you know in industry you don't have a, like if you find something interesting can you just go and tell the like people who are about you like i want to address this question they are like you know we don't have money <laughs> so yeah that's a, that's a good point that's my fear of entering industry <laughs> like you know you can't really address those exciting things like something new comes up or probably no you know, you don't have that you know flexibility I, i i don't know i haven't worked that's what at least i see from outside so are you are you looking to stay in the us are you are you casting that net internationally globally locally the like this year i'm going to really look at applying i think this fall is when i really look forward to apply and it's mostly going to be labs in us and mm-hmm. then probably i said i don't have a backup plan right now probably next year my like depending on how like successful my application process is uh yeah no backup plans as of now it's going to be a, a lab in us you got it you got it <laughs> I, like i don't know gopu you have experience working in japan i don't know like and you asked me in the very beginning probably i didn't give you an answer for it why us i don't know i think one reason i like to be in us is one the language itself you know mm. europe is i've heard that it's more fun like you can have a much more exciting life work life balance but i'm like i won't know the language if i don't know the language how would i fit in so unless say, i'm willing to learn a new language it was the same for me too because i was in i was near tokyo for 5 years and then i mean i was lucky because i was in an international city and everybody could speak english but okay. there was a point where i thought of learning japanese but then i was doing phd and it was so <laughs> you know i had I had a choice either i could spend some time 
learning Japanese or I could do two or three more experiments. <laughs> so, so then after that, I was just, I mean, all my friends spoke Japanese, so it was easy. But then still, I wanted to be somewhere where I could speak language and it would be much easier. Then my options were UK and US. Then I thought, people say many things about US and I was just more curious about it. And it is it is that time where the whole political drama too was happening. So I'm just like, what is about that place? I'm curious about it. <laughs> but I have a question for both of you. It's like both of you have family and I just got engaged. So before, you know, before when I was single, I had all the luxury of time to do whatever I want to do. And after this, now, now I, I'm a night person. I love working in the night. But then now my priorities are slightly changing because if I go home late, there'll be him sulking and like, you know, like, showing me all kinds of faces. I'm just like, no, 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 I have to go back. And so how do you balance all this? Both of you having big paper, how did you, how did you do it? Zane, do you want to take it? Or... <laughs> sure. Uh, Gopu changes. Just embrace it. <laughs> Congratulations on the engagement. Um, <laughs> But it it was actually you know um, I, I think it was a very positive. I got in I got married and started my family halfway through postdoc, mm. um, so I have two kids right now, young kids, right? Um, so th- it's it's definitely a lot of work, and my recreational free time is very structured, uh, basically because it's you know I when I'm at home um it's family time and and i spent a lot of time especially as a postdoc putting up those boundaries i mean maybe this you guys talked about cultural differences and boundaries i mean this was a huge deal i you know i had multiple therapists on board helping me separating work from like home stuff and it was a big deal just for my own mental health and it helped tremendously my my i was way more productive in the lab i think once i kind of got this done COVID then came and just res- just destroyed it all. So um, that was a little bit of a you know backpedal, but it, it it's more energy um, to to balance everything. But I've also found things are moving forward a little bit better and faster once you've kind of got it. It, it you know sets priorities. So you say this experiment, I don't have time to waste poking around with it. I've got to do X, Y, and Z. X, Y, and Z has to get done by this date. And if I, I, that's just no plan B. That's just it. Yeah, that's the thing, you know, when I was single, I had the luxury to, as you were saying, poke around and see some (laughs) things. And I was like, nope. It's fun. I loved it. And it's great. And you get to, you learn a lot that way. And I think it's so critical, especially as for an early career scientist to have that luxury mm-hmm. just to really get a good sense of themselves as a scientist yeah um but when it comes down to work you've got to you got to switch gears and you got to focus on productivity and 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 how how to make yourself the most productive and i don't think there's a single key some people seem to have a magic answer um i to me it's a everyday effort so. what about you aswathi you've got you said you've got a, a small yeah. one too. Yes. So for me, I think at the beginning, like getting married was not the part where I struggled because I got married to one of my lab mates. Uh, so we were doing PhD in the same lab. So he understood the problems that people have in a, a lab environment, what needs to be addressed, what, needs, what are your priorities. I didn't have to explain that bit to my partner like so i was given that option to like you know it was like when the partner understands so it was easy for me i would say like when when i got married uh but i think once you have a child then your priorities change right then it's like you you have the small human like whom you have to take care they are dependent on you and you and it's a very important time of their life which is very critical so you have to spend time for them like there is no other way so uh, uh, it has 
been you know like again this was the first time in life i had to think about how do i do I, till this now till time i had baby i never had to think like work life balance it was like uh, i enjoyed working so working was never level like yeah at times it's exhausting but it was good i was excited about it but um, i didn't have i didn't have the struggle to but now i do it like i am a person who never usually say no to people anyone ask me to like, yeah i'll do it i'll do it i'm like now i'm like in a stage in my life that i'm like it was so difficult in the beginning that i had to cancel a meeting like you know how can i like find a sick and you're like i have to cancel i don't have a choice but i think you know when things come up you learn that oh you can say no if something else is more important and i would say that's also a bit cultural because in india and japan you just say yes to everything you yes say, to everything somebody yes. asks some, something you just say yes and here when i have to say no to some of my undergrad mentees or anyone like i i would i would have a stone face and i would can say no and when they told me to go oh my god i just said no. <laughs> <laughs> saying no <laughs> yeah i have the same problem like i'm like once i like i can't even say no and like once i say no it hurt, like i feel so guilty yes. about it like yeah. why did i not have that person do you feel like you've got a strong family support system nearby aswathi uh here yeah. again uh like because uh like it was pandemic it was difficult in the beginning then my in-laws came in here so they helped uh, a lot mm-hmm. like for almost a year they were here so now he has started daycare so yeah so it's all working now as you said you know after a point you learn how like in the beginning it's all difficult like you're all alone you're trying to handle and then once you try to handle then people come in then it, everything all everything <laughs> messes up and then you're like again you are all alone again now it, it's everything changing now you, now i think i found a balance of like mm. how to make things work and once you find that balance as you said it's more like you know uh good in a lot of ways because as you said uh sometime back gopu like most of the times it's not all sunshine and science so yeah. <laughs> the only sunshine you have is this family right yeah, <laughs> so true. having that family to go back is great you know because in science most of the time you Me. have do you, do you feel as a a woman postdoc you're supported just by the system you know i think that's a uh, huge deal that a lot of people are openly discussing right now is not just the support of postdocs but especially for postdocs that are starting families and i think it's quite supportive but again like the biology is in such a way that you know you are still uh, you know it's like my husband is very supportive at home in lab my pi is very supportive so mm-hmm. i do get that support system from the lab and from home but at the same time you know this is a part of like time of my career where i would like to go network i'm not good at networking a lot i'm a very like you know introverted person so i'm not good at it but i was like this is the time i have to do it if i have to find a job i need to like talk to people find where do i fit in to get uh, to know what is there and um, my pi was willing to send me for a lot of conferences but there are a lot of times i have to say no because of you know family obligations and it's like you know a child as they grow like they tend to bond much more with mom a little bit you know mm-hmm. that's that that's the you know my son like loves playing with my husband but at the same time you know i am his you know in the mm-hmm. night he needs me yep. so it's like you know that's just i think the bio, the way the biology is the mom is that you know person where the child feels safe so uh i can't change it so and i don't want to change it but at the same time i can't go to conferences probably i think if i was a man i would have been easily been able to go to conferences yeah. and i don't think it's because of the lack of support system there is yeah probably if conference centers had places where they handle child like child care centers and things like that it would have been still it would have been easy to like difficult to travel with a child all alone but now everywhere i go i have to take my family with me i travel with my husband <laughs> and so he has to take leave from yeah. his workplace so that's more that's inconvenient a child's like you know circadian clock is very like you know yeah, yeah. rigid and it messes up so it's a lot more yeah yeah uh, the support system is there but you know it's not yeah. in that right? yeah i yeah i feel like that 
bringing equality for men and women it's not that easy even with the support system it's it's so i i definitely sense there's change there's definitely a there lot of there's definitely. a lot of talk about it and it, and yes. I, i think with especially with younger junior faculty it's yes. a lot more accepting um, yes. I, i mean i'd say that i work at a women's university so the culture is absolutely different here than it is anywhere else I've worked uh, for the better in terms of a lot of those support things. But I also just see, you know, people being very vocal about like, we need to be better at doing these things. And I, I'm, I expect there's change moving. There is change, I, I think definitely. there's definitely, I mean, even before COVID, I would we'd go to these conferences and there's kids running around in these talks. Right. And, and, I, it's just going to have to be something like that, right? Just because you can't take a week off. Like, no, I mean, I can't even take two days off, really. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and and put that amount of work onto my partner. It, you know, it's it's just something that I think is it's in academia we we should have the luxury to do some of those things too. So. Yeah, I think that is also something good about academia, right? In industry, you don't have that, you know, mm-hmm. flexibility. Like, you know, you have to work nine to five, and if you're not there, you have to take a leave. Then you run out of leaves, sick leaves, and things like that. Whereas in academia, you can go like you can balance with your like partner to do experiments, probably in a later time of the day, and things mm-hmm. like that. You can work that out in academia, yeah. which is which you don't get that flexibility in other fields, right? at least in industry the flexibility so is your husband also still in science my husband is also still doing postdoc so yeah so both of us have that flexibility now so when you're you're now thinking about the the jump the transition right uh you've got to consider it's a two body now it's a two body uh, problem yes problem, and so. and we are at different stages of our career because you know i told you i, I started one year before him so mm-hmm. we are at different phases uh and there are a lot of things which come into play because of visa issues because we are not from america so there are other things that your visa runs out you know oh different God. visas so that's probably a whole you don't, you don't even want to hear about it. <laughs> so Save that for volume you have two body problem then you have like the visa problems and yeah yeah oh wow it's a lot and then Uh, good luck yeah good luck for all thank this. you so much yeah and la final thing like since we both are malayalis i think we should teach zain a malayalam word <laughs> yes oh please right yeah yeah absolutely what's a good one what's a good one that is sugamano sugamano so s u g h a m a n o means hawaii Say that. So say it. Spell it again. S U G. I'm actually writing down. S U G H A M A N O. Sukamano. Sukamano. Oh yeah. Right. Quite good. That's what does that mean? Hello. How are you? How are you? How are you? And basically, uh, it's are you well? Are you doing good? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. And you you can just say sukam. S U G H A. Sukam means I'm fine. Sukam. Oh, okay. <laughs> and another word is adipoli a d i p o l i adipoli means fantastic <laughs> that's a fun in a, in a very in a very you know like not formal way of course okay. sane is like what i have <laughs> <laughs> no that's 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 great sukamaro yeah like sane do you know any other languages apart from english oh um, yeah i live in texas so grew up learning spanish okay. um i have family that lives in germany so i've been no a little bit of learning some german so okay but I, i would not consider myself fluent in those i know okay. them i could read them but i can't at all <laughs> i would not i would be timid to have a conversation with somebody so how what language do you know actually i know malayalam mm-hmm. i think i can understand tamil I can speak well in Hindi with grammatical mistakes uh and gender mistakes and I think I can uh, like English so four languages Yeah I would say it's the same thing that Malayalam Tamil English and Hindi Yeah Yeah I think that's the thing you know in India you just have to learn all these languages you can't just live Yes 
every single one of them i think when i was applying i applied to every open position in the country so even if you like don't want to go there absolutely my my philosophy, so i kind of have similar have a two body problem my mm-hmm. wife is in um ac- academic administration so it's a little okay. bit different uh, she's mm-hmm. not she's not faculty but we basically our our philosophy was only turn an opportunity down once it's in front of you Right. Okay. If somebody's offering you the job, then you can say no. Don't turn it down by not applying for it. Even if you think it's weird, mm-hmm. <laughs> I applied for a lot of weird jobs. Um, because oftentimes they, that may lead you to, to, the, another, to the, the next other. step that will be more promising. So especially if, if it takes you know multiple rounds of, of applying, oftentimes you know, you'll find things, you'll talk to people, you'll hear, you'll make It, it's that networking, right? You make those connections um, and, and just apply to it. Right? Is there a reason you wanted to stay in Texas itself? Or like, like, and how is it like being in a women's university? Like, is it like all women's, you get only students? So um, I, I'm from this area. My parents okay. live here. And that was a huge factor into, uh, so part of it was, I, my parents are here. My family's here. So raising kids, I wanted to be close to family. Okay. Um, and then also because the, we live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, there's a lot of other schools. So okay. it was easier if I didn't find a position immediately, my wife didn't find a position immediately, there okay. was more opportunities. We had a couple of interviews at other places where it was like, this is the only thing. It's a small university town and there's nothing outside of it <laughs> for a okay. hundred miles or something. So, and then, yeah, the women's university, it, it, it's, like I said, it's noticeably different. Um, it's co-ed, so there are male and female students. Um, okay. The graduate student demographics tip, tend to be a little more balanced. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of international students. We have a well, then why is it called women's university? So it was originally the state university, women's only state university. Okay. So like 1991, I think, is when Which, they okay. allowed to be co-ed. And okay. to this day, it's, it's I don't know, like 89% female. Okay. So it's still pretty heavily female. Okay. Um, my, my, the undergraduate classes I teach mostly, I'll, I'll, you know, I have 150 students and six, six uh, male students. So it, it's still... Did you have teaching experience prior to your... You did, okay. Yeah, I taught a lot of... So I teach anatomy physiology now. And I okay. taught a lot of that as in graduate school. Okay. I did not teach at all as a postdoc. Okay. Um, but I, go, I, go. I... Yeah, go on. I was going to say, I, I was often told um, in terms of teaching experience, it's not as critical as research. If you're, if you're getting a 50-50 position, right, um, because nobody's, you don't, like, even with my experience, I had a sharp learning curve in terms of okay. teaching the class and dealing with, you know, tons of students and prepping, yeah, I don't prepping basically prepping a 90-minute talk every week. So, okay. Yeah. So. I don't have any teaching experience, so that's what, like, I'm, like... How bad is it? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of, you'll have to teach, you have to, like a lot of applications, you have to submit a teaching, teaching philosophy statement, yeah. statement. And I'm like, I don't even. I'm, I don't, I haven't thought what philosophy do I have? <laughs> Probably I mean, I've, the I've been teaching for a few years now and I don't even really have a solid idea what that means. <laughs> um, so, yeah. and that's something that I think you're teaching ability comes through very well on a job talk right okay. if you give a really solid job talk if you give a great chalk talk okay you can learn the material to teach to students i, I think that was kind of what everybody told me because i was always like should i go adjunct somewhere and get teaching experience blah 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 
Like, don't care. Just do your research. <laughs> yeah, just get the research done. So okay. That was there. There I was like, as a postdoc, you're there to do research. Focus on the research. That was the. Advice. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much, Gopu. Are you also interested in going into academic route? Uh, I don't know. I'm just. You're still I'm, thinking. Now I still have papers to publish, so I'll <laughs> think about it when I have to think about it way far down the line. Okay. Yeah, but probably like you know, like a lot of people told me like you should have started developing some of these skills that you needed probably yeah. early on. I'm like, I didn't even know I wanted to be a PI pusher. So, like, I mean, I I, I were great with undergraduate kids. I mean, okay. I I you know I have a good rapport with them and all of it. Then I don't know. Right now, I want to say I want to be in academia, but then you never know. You know. Okay. Keep my options open. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's like it's a Pandora box of questions. And you had to ask me this question, Ashwati. <laughs> and I have one more question for you. Do yeah. you want to continue staying in the US? Well, now that I'm marrying an American. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Probably you have. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Idea, yeah. okay. Great. All okay. Right. I, I have a lot more questions, but yeah. We, we are running out of time, but thank you so much. All right, Ashwati, I'll see you around. Thank you, Ashwati. Thank you. And good bye luck bye. with everything. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. All the best for both of you. Bye. Yeah.